بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وأفضل الصلاة وتم تسليم على سيدنا ومولانا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم أجمعين سبحانك لا إلمانا إلا ما علمتنا إنك أنت العليم الحكيم ولا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله العلي العظيم Bismillah. So we are going to continue on in our study of various intentions that we should make. And today we are going to briefly remind ourselves of the intentions that we can make for visiting the shuyukh. That is visiting people of Allah, visiting scholars, visiting righteous people. What intentions should we make when we go to see them? That in his book Habib Sa'ad that he mentions about seven intentions. And again, to repeat over and over again, over and over again. This is in addition to the core intentions that we make for everything it is that we do. And by now we should know what those are. So we intend all of that. In addition to that, we also intend to benefit from them in both religious and worldly matters. And for them, really, the religious and the worldly is combined into one. And they don't make that designation to begin with. Because everything that they do, that is the true shiuch, the true scholars that put their knowledge into practice, everything they do from worldly affairs ultimately is with a righteous intention, such that its reality is that it is religious, even if outwardly that it is worldly. So to benefit from them in both religious and worldly affairs. And so when we go to see them, that we might have questions, we might just benefit from their presence, we might see the way that they interact with their children, we might see the way that they conduct something to do with their affairs and thus that we benefit from them. The second intention that we make, can make is to fulfill the command of the Prophet ﷺ when he said, be in the company of the great ones. So our Prophet taught us ﷺ, Jadisul Ulama and that sit with the scholars. But he also told us too that um, that, uh, that to visit often the kubara, jadisul ulama wa khalitul kubara, and um, that actually khalitul hukama, and that when it comes to uh, that sitting with, with the kubara, which can be people that are elderly, but also that people that are distinguished in the religion, is that we should that be in their company and visit them from that time to time, and so we want to specifically that fulfilled the command of the Prophet and that Allah Ta'ala also says in the Quran that, O oh, you who believe, Allah wa ma'asadikin. Have taqwa of Allah wa ma'asadikin. Be with the people of sincerity, the people of trueness. And this is a command from Allah, to be with them. And Allah Ta'ala wouldn't have commanded us to be with the Sadiqeen unless that it was of great benefit. So we, we intend to fulfill that command. And then, we also make the intention to attain from them, i.e. from being in their presence, the mercy that descends upon them. So we know that the great people of Allah, the scholars and the righteous people, is that mercy descends. If mercy descends when you mention their name, what do you think is going to happen when you're in their presence? you're going to benefit greatly. And there's a story that we'd like to quote to encourage us to do this. There was a man who attended the gathering of Habib Abdul Khadr bin Ahmad al-Saqaf. And he was a good man and people knew him to be righteous. 
And then he passed away shortly after visiting Hamza ibn Qadr. And someone saw him in a dream that he had an extremely lofty place in paradise. And the person who saw the dream said to the man, again, it's a dream, but you have a number of stories like this, where people would ask people in their dreams, مَا فَعَلَ اللَّهُ What did Allah do with you? And you find numerous stories like this in our biographical literature. And the man that said to him, because when he saw him in such a lofty state, he said, we thought you were righteous, but how did you attain that rank? He said, I attended one gathering of Abu Abdul Qadir al-Saqaf. He said, نَزَلَتْ الرَّحْمَةِ Mercy descended, and as a result of the scent of that mercy, I was granted this great rank that you see. And we should never deem that to be something far-fetched, let alone impossible. This is something totally possible. If Allah Ta'ala wills, as in anything that we do, or any gathering that we attend, or any person that we visit, He could raise us to the highest of ranks, Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. And if we don't think that, we've had a bad opinion of our Lord. So that's an intention that we make, is that from being in their presence, that mercy descends upon us, just as we believe it to be descending upon them. And then number four, the qasida that we just recited, relates to this, uh, while we are waiting for the roha to start, to obtain a gaze from them by which Allah will rectify your state in all of your affairs. And there are certain scholars that raise their spiritual children through gazes. And they used to mention in the books that there is a particular type of turtle, and I don't know the name of this type of turtle, uh, but they mentioned that there's a particular type of turtle that can hatch its eggs from a distance. And the mother turtle, after laying her eggs, gazes at the egg from a distance, and apparently that it then hatches. And this is why Habib Umar bin Abdurrahman al-Attas, he used to say, I spiritually train my students the way that a mother turtle that trains that her children, in other words, is it through gazes. And this is that a very, very real thing. Mawadullah said, I, I sat in the gathering of Sheikh Abu Bakr bin Saddam, and he gazed upon me a gaze. I didn't see the fruit of that gaze for 40 years. So this is why it's so important to visit the righteous. And if we can't find them locally, which if we are sincere and search hard enough, you will find them locally. But if you can't, you should go seek them out. And you should travel to go visit them. And you should make the intention that when you're in their gatherings that they gaze upon you. They used to tell us in Hadramot is that one of the wisdoms why the elderly people sit at the front of the gathering. Unfortunately, kind of where we're at, we don't really have like a solid wall. But we have these chairs that people sit in up here and that older people and distinguished people sit at the front. And one of the wisdoms is that they were one time sitting facing the people that are in front of them. So it's so that the gaze is then connected. They grew up in the gatherings of the righteous. And most of the righteous people that you find, if you hear their stories, they grew up in the gatherings of the righteous. And then they benefit from them. And this stems to even to our time. One of the recent scholars who was originally from Hadramaut by the name of Habib Adi bin Sheikh bil Faqih. He was a, a great scholar. And he ended up in Abu Dhabi when the communists came to Hadramaut. And he continued on teaching and giving da'wah there. And Sheikh Hamza Yusuf met him way back 
And so we're talking now, um, you know, perhaps this is, you know, the 80s where he met him. And when a recent biography was written about him by someone in, in, in Tarim, I bought a copy and I gifted it to Sheikh Hamza. And there was a picture on the back of Habib Adi bin Sheikh in one of his gatherings. And Sheikh Hamza looked at that picture and he said, I was in that gathering. He said, I was serving tea in that gathering. And subhanAllah, it's just you don't realize what you get when you frequent the gatherings of goodness, uh, what you can attain from it, especially if there is righteous people in them that you want to <clears throat> receive a gaze from them, which is a means for you ultimately to receive a gaze from of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ask Allah Ta'ala for a gaze from His merciful eye, whereby which that we are completely healed and cured from all diseases of the heart. And then number five is that we intend to be in the gathering of the righteous. So that relates somewhat to what we previously took, but we just want to put ourselves around good people. We want to put ourselves around people that are going to bring benefit to us. And we're the only intention we to make, which is an additional intention, is that just to be in a place where we don't get in trouble, it would suffice. Because all of us know is that when we're idle, we're going to get in trouble. All you need is a phone and free time. Or you don't even need a phone. All you need is a little bit of free time, a little bit of idleness. No one's around and we're going to get ourselves in trouble. So it's better that we just at least keep ourselves out of trouble by being with good people. And the vast majority of the righteous that have a lot of students, most of their students are connected to them, a connection whereby which they're just trying to stay out of trouble. And that's one of the primary functions of the awliya, is just to keep people out of trouble. And we've mentioned on more than one occasion, but it's such an amazing story in this light, in this regard. Is Imam Abu Bakr Adni, there used to be a group of people during his time where they'd get in trouble. He would actually pay them. He would give them a stipend for them to spend time with him at night. They weren't being hired to do any work. But he said, look, I'm going to give you a stipend. Just you spend time with me. And he would pay them to spend time with him. And he would make the condition is that they come to him at night and they stay with him until the morning. And so that he wanted to prevent them from going out and doing other things that they would do at night. And this is their concern for people and that they have a special concern for people that get themselves in trouble. And there's a statement of Sheikh Abdul Qadir Jilani, may Allah Ta'ala, that have mercy on his soul, where he said, the righteous belong to Allah. He said, as for the people that are not righteous, he said, they're for me, I'm going to swallow them. And what he meant by that is, is that I'm going to be concerned with them. I'm going to reach out to them. I'm going to do whatever I can to help them. And this should be our himma, is to help all people and to that keep people from falling into trouble. And then intend that Allah may purify your heart. This is a great intention that we can make. When we're in the gatherings of the righteous, that we purify our hearts. Especially when we're reading books of the heart, books that hammer away and that chip away rather from some of the diseases that are in the heart and hammer meanings of that submission to Allah Ta'ala and means of actualization of the deen into the heart. And then finally, intend that Allah will bring you together with that shaykh inwardly as he has brought you together outwardly. 
So we intend to benefit from them and to be with them in this world and the next. And there are other intentions that we can make as well. These are just a summary of some of the few. May Allah Ta'ala bless us to that always frequent the gatherings of the righteous and to have a connection to them in this world and in the barzakh and in the afterlife. Okay, so we're going to, inshallah, read the next chapter of Knowledge and Wisdom. Those that are following along with the book, we are on chapter 5, page 25. Bismillah. These days, no man of reason and taqwa should be overly concerned with the opinions of others and their expectations when this may result in his abandoning things which are good for his heart or in which he can find some joy and comfort. Watching others and being wary of them has become a tiresome endeavor devoid of benefit, for people are preoccupied with themselves, deeply committed both inwardly and outwardly to their worldly affairs, and generally incapable of discernment, with which thing becomes obvious to anyone who gives the matter the least amount of thought. Being constantly conscious and wary of others is something that people of resolution and determination have always disproved of, disapproved of. How good is the saying of the poet, he who watches others dies of grief, while all pleasures belong to the bowl. Watching others may have had some benefits in the past when people were more discerning and had the time to ponder and reflect on what others did. did. Total commitment to worldly affairs and loss of discernment have since caused such people to dwindle and largely disappear. A person of taqwa and reason should therefore strive only for the good pleasure of his Lord, his own salvation, success in the hereafter, and whatever brings tranquility to the heart and joy to his mind, as long as it is free of sinful or base behavior. In doing so, he should pay no attention whatsoever to others, since they are preoccupied only with themselves. Let him attend to himself and that which is of importance and benefit to him in this world and the next. Reflect on this and be guided, and may God take over your guidance. MashaAllah. Bismillah. So this is a chapter titled, Watching Others. And again, there's great wisdom in these words of Imam al-Haddad. And what we hope is that we open up our hearts and minds to this wisdom, and we have the ability to put it into practice. He begins by saying that no man of reason and taqwa should be overly concerned with the opinions of others and their expectations when this may result in his abandoning things which are good for his heart or in which he can find some joy and comfort. And what he's teaching us is, is that times obviously have changed. And he's speaking, of course, about 300 years ago, about people in his time. And keep in mind, he's in Tarim, Hadramot Yemen, which is a very protected society even into this day. They used to say, is that were the entire world to be blind, that Tarim would still be able to see a little bit. It is clearly more preserved than many other places. And people that aren't considered to be so righteous there, were they to come 
to places outside of Tunim, people would think that they are that great awliya because of the way that they follow the sunnah of our Prophet ﷺ and really the purity of heart that they have and that it really is a blessed place as the man who went to visit Tanim and when he would keep recounting the story to his son story after story he would tell he would always end the story by saying وَهُمْ بِالْمَلَائِكَةِ ashba." and you could probably best translate as it is as if they are angels in other words is that they were human beings but it's almost like they didn't have desire like other people had because of the difficulty of life there and the simplicity and the housing, the simplicity of the food and clothing and um, that's one of the things they'd always say there Bissahada. just let things be just let things, you know, just relax and to let things be easy that it was, it was just kind of like that there wasn't a lot of the pressure that we have here that uh, certainly wasn't there in, in a lot of traditional societies it was similar anyhow, he's saying that, that whereas you have to know the time in which you live and if this was his time, then what about our time? And really in any time it is important for us to understand the way the majority of people see the world and the expectations that they have. And one of the things that happens to us all is that we're affected by what other people think. Especially if there's a critical mass of people. If you grow up in a family and all of your brothers and sisters and your aunts and your uncles and everyone is around you and is putting pressure on you and saying, if you do not get into an Ivy League school, you are useless, right? And that are putting so much pressure on you to get into a top-notch university and then somehow you don't get accepted to an Ivy League school and you have to settle for something else and people are looking down upon you because you're still getting a college education that's not what their expectation was. You're going to be affected by that. That's just one example. There are many other examples. In terms of our career track, what it is that we end up doing for the rest of our life in terms of who it is that we marry in terms of what type of house that we have to live in or what type of car we have to drive and all of these types of things it's, I was just with Imam Tahir Anwar may Allah ta'ala bless him and uh, Imam Tahir um, was telling me how he that had a very nice car and then you know, he grew up with a father who was very pious may Allah ta'ala preserve his blessed father and his father used to tell him that the way of the people of the path, uh, which he embodied the way of the people of the path, he used to say, have what you want from the world, but just don't let it get into your heart. And so Imam Tahir had a very nice car, and he got rid of it. And he bought like an older kind of used car. And he said people would see him coming to the masjid in this older car. And they'd come up to him and be like, are you okay? Is everything all right? They thought like really something was wrong with him. Because the car that he wasn't driving, that he was driving, was not like the first car that he was driving, and they thought like he was going through like some really difficult time, or that he was depressed or something like that. And Subhanallah, just the perspective of people. And I, Subhanallah, I've been in situations where it's just the perspective that I, I see some of these people have. It's it's almost like some of these things that they're worshipped. Like, um, like close. I mean, these are Muslims who don't worship anything other than Allah Ta'ala, but some of these things are, are so dear to them, it's almost as if they're worshiping them. And it really is shocking to, to see that. And very, very unhealthy. And the point of this is, 
that in any time which we live, wherever we are, in whatever environment that we're in, urban, suburban, or any other, there are certain expectations and understandings and perspectives that people have. And when you grow up in that society, and among those people, and in those neighborhoods, you're going to be affected by them. Imam Haddad's advice is, is to step back and to really think very carefully about what are other people's expectations of how it is that they think. And understand from the standpoint of deen, what is the true meaning of success? What is the things that you need to do in your life to take care of yourself? And subhanAllah, sometimes people, they can't believe the decisions people make to move from one area to another or to do this or to do that. And it looks like outwardly they're sacrificing their career or that they're taking a huge pay cut to enter into the non-profit sector. Or I actually remember that a situation where the man's son entered into the humanities and he really, he panicked because he started, well, if my son gets a degree in history, how on earth is he ever going to take care of me when he's older? And he panicked. And in a very real way, people go through these situations. Um, I was reading something about uh, a, uh, a lady from a particular country that was failing her math class. And so she decided to go into the humanities and she said her, her relatives came to visit her as if like someone had died in the family and that wanted to console her. And, Is everything okay? And as if, it, you know, that people don't have different abilities. That these things are, I'm just mentioning examples that some people might be familiar with. And there's a whole other set of examples, sets of examples that people might, that bring forth opinion upon where someone lives and what those expectations are. But we have to be careful of that. You can't live your life for other people. And I will say, and this will be a bit controversial, even for your parents. Your parents cannot micromanage your life. As my kids, or at least one of them is in the room listening very carefully, I'm sure of all things, taking notes on, on that particular point. But parents cannot micromanage your life. The goal of a parent is to help their child develop their God-given gifts and to use them for His sake, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we have to have the courage to get out of this mold of this constant worry of the system of compulsory schooling where we feel like if our kids don't go to this school and do this and do that and get it's a race to nowhere and it never ends and they say no no just just in high school make sure you get into a good college it doesn't stop there no 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 you got to just get at least get in the door and get a job no no and then you got to at least it right no your career and it just it never stops until you're retired and you're too old to even benefit from your money or if you do, okay, you go on a few holidays, big deal. You go on a few cruises, okay, play. That is that really what life is all about? Where's the process? Where's the meaning? And I hope that increasingly in countries like the one in which we live in the United States of America, that we can provide opportunities for young people to have career tracks that they love, they feel passionate about, and they're also meaningful. Risk will come. Risk is the last of concerns. Anyone in our society who's willing to work and have a little bit of zuhud, for the most part, can get by. Not always, right? but for the most part, can at least get by if you're willing to work. Now, again, that doesn't apply to everyone. There are certain situations where people are in very difficult circumstances and they don't have enough to get by. But for the most part, 
I don't think we have to overly worry about that. Now, what we have to do is, is that, that really help people match what they feel passionate about with career tracks. And that there's no doubt, the more beneficial the career track is that the more blessings there will be in what it is that they do. There's no doubt about that. And it doesn't mean that something's not permissible. Something could be permissible, but something could be better and even better. And that's really what we want to move towards is that when we do career that training with the youth is that we that speak from abundance and tell them about the incredible opportunities that they would have and that we have to be very wary of the modern school system stifling our children's creativity because there's so many opportunities that they have where they to realize uh, and that to be assisted in channeling their God-given gifts uh, to something that would be of benefit. Anyhow, that this doesn't just relate to this. And all the, in all this, these things is that we have to be very careful living up to the expectations of people. Living and doing what it is that they want us to do. And so he says, we should not be overly concerned. We're going to be concerned, but not overly concerned with their opinions and expectations. And so we shouldn't abandon things which are good for our heart. And this is another very strange phenomenon. I've come across multiple people like this where they don't want their kids to go down the wrong path, but they don't want their kids to be too religious either. They want them to be somewhere kind of in the middle. And they actually get really worried when they start to get too religious because they feel like religion is going to come in the way of their goals for their kids, which is very odd to me, as, especially as a convert. I, it's very difficult for me to understand that. Um, and, okay, if, if we're talking about radicalization, okay, that's another thing. Right, but if we're talking about um, just the religion, how could the religion get in the way? If you practice your religion, you'll be good in everything you do. Everything we have in our religion, if you are good in deen, it will give you life skills to be good in anything you do. 100% guaranteed. If you just think about the five daily prayers, and waking up, and praying on time, in the systematic way that we have to go about and that establish a regiment in our lives to ensure that. Think about all of the life skills that you get from that and what a plus that is and the way that that relieves stress and the way that it relieves burdens from you and the way that that facilitates things for you and so forth and so on. And fasting and across the board, the wisdoms that we have in our deen is that it will give you the, it will give you the skills that you need in life. Just look at the Prophet's sunnah. What else do you need? That should be the real test. When we hire someone, how close are they to following the sunnah of our Prophet Everything that they're looking at now, they used to look at IQ, now they look, then they started looking at EQ, which is emotional intelligence, and now they have these tests that they, is what they call EXQ. They find these really interesting ways to see what traits that people have to see whether or not they want to hire them. And Oftentimes, these are traits that you can't learn in school. And you're not going to learn in school. And if anything, school might strip some of them from you. And again, I'm not saying that we don't go to school. I'm just simply saying, is it were people to realize what we have in our deen, it's everything you need for not only your religious life, but also your worldly life. Because your worldly life is a part of your religious life. And this is why the prophets who came, they came for islah al-ma'ad wal-ma'ash. They came to rectify our worldly lives and our otherworldly lives. So everything is there. And so if we know something is good for our heart, 
is that we can't abandon it because other people think we're strange. If you have a sheikh, if you have a teacher, and your family members think that's weird. Or is that instead of taking a vacation, you spend time going to a retreat. You go and do something that's a, like, why wouldn't you go to the Bahamas when you could have gone here? Why wouldn't you go here when you could have gone here? And um, that we shouldn't leave it if it's good for our heart, or which we can find some joy and comfort. And I'm not sure, but maybe one of the meanings that Imam Haddad is mentioning here, and this is something that I understood, especially when he slightly repeats it towards the end, is that we have to realize our deen, it takes time for us to progress. It's like a marathon. It is not a sprint. If you sprint, you will get tired out. And then we have the famous story of the that tortoise and the hare. And slow, steady, consistent growth is much better than quick sprints. And that's what's going to win in the end. And we don't have a lot of wisdom in that regard by way of examples before us, oftentimes. Some people more so than others. But really how to slowly increase in the realization of this deen over a long period of time. To not do too much or to do too little. And to know when to indulge in certain things from the realm of the permissible. And that when to leave other things that are offensive and that to kind of move up in the degrees of taqwa. It takes time. And that's something that still to this day, with much of the dysfunctionality in the Muslim world, this is still very much intact. People know where they are in the hierarchy. They know what to do in the moment. And they don't make things unnecessarily difficult upon themselves. So there's two things here. You read the stories of the righteous and you see what's possible. And then you realize where you're at. And then you take a path to slowly move in that direction. But not everyone can move as quick as other people can. And so it's important, and this is what I understand from this, to that give yourself times of rest. To have certain things that you do to relieve stress. Whether it's something like exercise, or whether someone likes to cook, or whether someone likes to that, uh, go visit uh, go hiking or something like that or to go visit museums or whatever it might be have some type of sport horseback riding or archery or something like that or something that will relieve yourself from many of the burdens that you face in life these things are important and then there might be certain times where we leave certain things and we focus on other things but learning how to live and the key here is is that if there are certain things that we know we need to do, and again, the condition is it's in the realm of the permissible, we can't leave those things because other people think there's something wrong with them or they think that they're strange or they wonder why would that person do that. Is that you have to be comfortable and to carry yourself in a way that you know how to slowly progress over a long period of time. Now... And he points out here that watching others and being wary of them has become a tiresome endeavor, devoid of benefit. He said because the vast majority of people is that they are just deeply committed both inwardly and outwardly to their worldly affairs. If you just settle for less and you don't upgrade your home or you don't upgrade your car, sometimes people think you're really strange. 
and in some communities more than others. They really think you're strange. If you just, you know, don't have, you know, the, the, people even will judge people now by the phones that they have. They'll even judge, like people are embarrassed to have certain types of phones because they're, they're oh, that person must be from the Stone Age. Have a phone like that. It's, you know, as if something's like seriously wrong with them or something because they have a flip phone or they don't have a, you know, a data package or something like that on their phone. People think that there's something wrong with them. Or if they still have like an iPhone 5, they haven't even gone up to the 6 yet, right? And they're just eagerly waiting for the 8 to come out, right? So that, yeah, I, I don't, I'm, I've had the 6 for so long, I never did the upgrade to the 7, so I'm just going to go right up to the 8, right? And anyhow, these types of things, they're utterly ridiculous. They really, really are ridiculous. And we have to be very careful that letting these things seep into the heart. And even if we do have these things, that the key is, is that to be unaffected by them internally and to use them responsibly. And so this is really, really good advice. And um, he does say here is that watching others may have had some benefits in the past when people were more discerning and had the time to ponder and reflect on what others did. Right? So people used to, you know, they used to be more discerning. And there's a lot that you could learn from other people and their dealings and the way that they did things. And this is less and less so is his whole point. So we have to be careful. And we need to that find the right examples because the nature of someone, if you're impressed with someone or something, you're in, internally going to incline towards following that person or doing that particular thing. This is the way we are. In that uh, there's a much in the modern world that at face, at face value it impresses us. And then once we're impressed by it, then we're lured in. And it could get us in trouble. Now, so, but in previous times, that this oftentimes was the case. A person of taqwa and reason should therefore strive only for the good pleasure of his Lord. And have this spiritual religious maturity to simply not care what people think. We need to get to that point where we do not care what people think. As it has been said, Only people have destroyed other people. Think about how many people have been destroyed and ruined themselves over the centuries upon centuries and thousands and thousands of years that human beings have lived to impress other people, to fit in. To fit into what? Fit into what? And in the end, that what's important is, is that Allah Ta'ala be pleased with us his own salvation, success in the hereafter, whatever brings tranquility to his heart and joy to his mind as long as it is free of sinful or base behavior. In doing so, he should pay no attention whatsoever to others. Since they are preoccupied with themselves, let him attend to himself and that which is of importance and benefit to him in this world and the next. Reflect on this and be guided and may God take over your guidance. So I thought that was a really beautiful thing. And um, that I've, I've been reading uh, recently, I'm going to just kind of introduce this, and another time I wanted to go into much more detail. And it, 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 it really relates to this uh, indirectly. Uh, Imam al-Ghazali has in his book, Ben Hajj al-Abidin, a whole section where he talks about seclusion. And that what is better, secluding yourself 
or that interacting with people. And he goes into the scholarly opinions about it and the way of the people who came before him. And um, different people have uh, that different categories that they fit in. And at different times of their life, they might fit more in one category or another. And the categories aren't necessarily static or black and white. Sometimes that you are, have a little bit of both, depending upon uh, the type of life that you live. And um, anyhow, he, he does mention something really interesting, though, uh, for those that are forced to mix with people. Some of the traits that we have to have. And I just thought this was really, really beneficial. So this is advice, is that the one who, that has to mix with other people, or you could say should, or obligatorily has to, like in a religious sense, because they have something that they can give back to them. These are the traits that he mentions these people should have. You also must also know that this man, this man, the kind people need in the context of religion, has two urgent needs of his own in the company of his fellow creatures. First of all, he needs long, enduring patience, enormous tolerance, a kind and gracious attitude, and constant readiness to seek help from Allah. Long, enduring patience, enormous tolerance, a kind and gracious attitude and constant readiness to seek help from Allah. Secondly, he needs to be inwardly detached from people. So this is where there's overlap. So even if you're with people outwardly, be inwardly detached. He needs to be inwardly detached from people, even though he is together with them in physical form. If they talk to him, he will talk to them. If they visit him, he will treat them with all due respect and he will thank them. If they say nothing to him and turn away from him, he will take advantage of that opportunity. So he's not worried if people aren't talking to you. If you're not accepted by people, that's an opportunity. I can do something that's going to benefit me. If they're engaged in something right and good, he will assist them. If they indulge in foolish talk and bad conduct, he will contradict them and shun them. Or he may chide them and rebuke them if he hopes to improve their hearts. He will also fill all their rights, including social visits and special visits to the sick, as well as taking care of their needs presented that they presented to him to the best of his ability. He will not demand any form of remuneration, any type of recompense from them, nor will he expect that of them. He will not expose them to alienation because of that failure to remunerate him, meaning that if they don't pay him back for something he did, he won't mistreat them. He'll just leave them. He will spend on them generously if he can, and he will be shy of accepting gifts from them. He wants to give, but he doesn't want to take. He will be tolerant of any annoyance they cause him, showing them a cheerful face and letting them see him in fine form. Conducting yourself worrying that nice clean clothes if someone is able to. He will hide his own needs from them, enduring them by himself in dealing with them in his heart and his inner being. He also needs to pay special attention to his own person by giving an opportunity to engage in devout worship. And then he quotes Sayyidina Umar al-Khattab who said, If I sleep through the night, I am bound to neglect my own self. 
And if I sleep through the day, I am bound to neglect those I'm responsible for. So how is it for me to sleep between these two? How can I sleep then? He was so preoccupied with helping people during the day that he didn't have time to sleep. And he was so preoccupied with the state of his own soul before Allah at night that likewise he didn't know when he it is that he would sleep. And so this is very good advice that we're going to have to interact with people, but we have to be detached. And that if we can have that perspective and these akhlaq, oh, that our Prophet that said is that the one who mixes with people and is patient with them is better than the one who does not mix with people. And so that mixing with people and being patient with everything that that brings is a higher state uh, in our deen. May Allah Ta'ala give us tawfiq. We'll just read uh, briefly from Men in the Universe, inshaAllah. So this is on page 16 of this copy, <clears throat> where he says, The two poles of a dyad may belong to the same degree of existence or to two superimposed degrees. In other words, there are horizontal as well as vertical relationships. When a relationship is vertical, the higher pole is always predominantly active in relation to the lower one. To take the human being, for example, the soul or psyche is higher than the body. And thus, in the psyche-soma pair, it is predominantly active. In relation to the spirit, however, the soul is lower and thus chiefly passive. To take a cosmic example, the divine throne is active in relation to the footstool, which in turn is mostly active in relation to the seven heavens beneath it, which in turn are mainly active in relation to the material world. The active-passive relationship of the pairs may, at the lowest levels, be considered one of opposition, as in good-evil, for instance. In most instances, however, it will be one of complementarity rather than opposition. And this applies more pervasively the higher the level. So again, these are, he's just introducing these ideas to us. Otherwise, that there is a lot of detail that you could go into in relation to the specifics. He's talking about different categories. And as we briefly pointed to uh, last week, that this really helps give us a very good understanding in many things that are oftentimes misunderstood, including various ahkam of the sharia. And that understanding that everything that Allah Ta'ala has created has a passive, active type nature. And some things or people that are active in one sense, in another sense, that they're passive. And that ultimately everything that Allah has created in relation to him is passive. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. Also to be mentioned in this context are the arrangements of multi-dyadic relationships in complex interacting systems. Commentary. This perspective has been partly studied by modern systems theorists with some relatively valid conclusions put forth, although they are limited by the very nature of material science. Each system is conceived as composed of smaller systems and forming part of a larger one. These systems within systems are in equilibrium. Every equilibrium is likely to be periodically disrupted, only to be replaced by a new balance after a period of disequilibrium. Which is to say that every equilibrium is relative and carries within it the seed of future disequilibrium. So he's giving us examples now of that modern research point to that, that talk about these active-passive pairs and these horizontal and vertical relationships. 
Within each system, the lighter or more passive components are conceived of as orbiting the heavier, heavier or more active components. This may be literal as in the case of electrons and protons in suns and planets, or it may be less evident as when applied at the social individual levels. If you really think about that, it's, it's amazing to think at everyone that is circumambulating the Kaaba. Every single one of us has cells in our body, and that all of the cells in our body have molecules. And if you that imagine the nucleus and the clamptor clockwise orbiting of the electrons of the nucleus, it's the same way that we circumambulate the Kaaba, counterclockwise. And if you go out to the macro level and think about the way that the planets are orbiting the sun, it's counterclockwise. So everything is harmony at the macro level, at the micro level, and everywhere in between. Everything is in unison. Everything is in perfect balance in reality if we have the wisdom to be able to see it. In a tribal setting, the members of each clan may be seen as moving within the orbit of the chief clan's chieftain, whose authority is the main centripetal force within each clan. Each chieftain is moving within the larger orbit of the tribal chief, who is thus the center of gravity of the whole tribe. In this context, the, centrif the, uh, the, centrif the centrifugal forces will be each tribeman's egoistic desires and tendency to prefer his own wishes over the communal good of the tribe. At the family level, the members are subject to the centripetal pull of the head of the family. The dispersing centrifugal forces will be each member's perception of his self-interest as incongruent with that of the family. Interest psychically, the soul's elements may easily be conceived of as orbiting around the center of gravity, that is the heart, we shall discuss this in more detail in the chapter Concerned with the Soul and the Spirit. It suffices to stay here that these elements are also subject to centripetal, unifying, and centrifugal dispersing influences. This is why the Quran speaks of those possessed of a lub, a core, that is, a unifying center of consciousness. That's the way that he saw it. For the power of the soul lies in the harmonizing of all its elements so as to remove inner conflict, Work against distraction and the dispersal of attention in order to unite the soul in the drive to reach immutable truth. This is un inner and unification or tawheed. The Quran states, Surely in the creation of the heavens and the earth and in the alternation of night and day there are signs for those possessed of core, centered minds, who remember God standing, sitting on their sides and reflect upon the creation of the heavens and earth. O our Lord, you have not created this in vain. Transcendent are you, so preserve us from the torment of the fire. These people, possessed of centered minds, are those who practice the remembrance of God uninterruptedly, which is here expressed by their doing in all, in all possible postures, standing sitting on their sides. Thus, they defeat all dispersing tendencies and win inner harmony or unity. At the highest level, whether spiritually within or cosmically without, all complementary pairs must resolve into unity. And this would be one of the greatest wisdoms of all of the pairs is that it points to Tawheed and the oneness of our Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala. And as some of them have pointed out, if you look at it mathematically speaking, every number, and let's say that things in creation have a number, every number is ultimately a series of ones. So what's four? One plus one plus one plus one. What is seven? One plus 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 one. What is 1,734? I'm not going to count all the ones out, but it's all of the ones until you reach 1,734. 
So even mathematically speaking, it all points to Tawheed. It points to Tawheed. Everything in existence that points to the oneness of our Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala. And one of the ways that the scholars understood this is that in everything that Allah ta'ala created is that we see preponderance. So Allah ta'ala chose for us to be able to see the sky as being blue. If He willed, He could have created such that we see the sky as being whatever color, that fluorescent pink, if He wanted. He could have, wanted, he, he could have chosen how that we see the sky, subhanahu wa ta'ala. But there's preponderance there. He chose it to be in a certain way and created it as such, subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this indicates that His oneness and that His power to Baraka wa ta'ala so may Allah Ta'ala that connect our hearts to these means to purify them and to give us understanding of this deen and to bless us with not only orthodoxy but orthopraxy, correct belief and correct practice and we keep going between knowledge and practice and may that bequeath a state that we live and die upon and then are accepted by our Lord Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. May Allah Ta'ala give us tawfiq in all of our different affairs. Wa sallallahu ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sallam 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 wa